The Earnestly Speaking Podcast is a show that is founded on free-flowing conversation and may at times venture into mature subjects. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, Earnestly Speaking Podcast. Let's get it. I'm a giant in New York, in Miami carry heat. So much more in store, my product can flood the street. Opinion Nation Godfather, CEO. Puff in the late 90s, gonna see me blow. Oh. Got my hustle on, no imitation of that. Army of untouchables, Opinion Nation staff. Never an off season, homie. Check the numbers. Heart driving my own right, supplying Southern comfort. Earnestly speaking, my ego is well fed. Earnestly speaking, you're too feeble. No threat. See him like a hurricane. You're a mild breeze. Earnestly speaking, leaving Eli a dynasty. Shame. All right, welcome to another edition to the Earnestly Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Ernest EJ Christian, on a actually rainy Wednesday afternoon here in South Florida. On the line with me, of course, uh, He's actually never been on this podcast. He's actually been on the radio show once, but never been on this podcast. And I'm pleased to have him on here. He's actually one of my teammates also at HaHaHoops.com, which I write for, uh, covered the Miami Heat. But he's here with us to talk some NBA basketball and other uh, stuff going on, going around in the, in the league. My friend, Dave Ramil. Dave, what's up, man? Not much, Ernest. How are you doing, brother? Man, I, I got to tell you, you know, I complained about, you know, a couple days ago how the first round was really dull. And it really was. But then all of a sudden, I think the last couple of days, there's been some intriguing games, and some of these, some of these series have been tightened up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there were some very good matchups. It sounded uh, at first to be like a real sexy first round for the playoffs. Nothing quite like what happened last year, where there were a record number of seven-game series. But still, there could be some really good matchups, hopefully, down the wire. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to all that soon. Um, as I just stated, uh, you, obviously, you and I are a teammate together. We actually, we, you and I do like a weekly, a bi-weekly, like a Miami Heat uh, debate little thing we do. Um, which, by the way, I apologize in advance for uh, not uh, finishing my end of it the last couple of days. I've been so busy. Um, <laughs> the last argument I had to put in took literally 48, 48 to 72 hours to finish up. So, but, but I did finish it this morning. It's in the email, so you go and send the way we need to. Um, <laughs> um, we also did the podcast together as well, too, with you and I and Haley. So, we had, I mean, the heat season was actually was a disaster, which we'll get to in a second. Um, before I get to all that, you know, whenever I do these like conversational pieces, these uh, podcasts, I like to... First, go around the background of these writers and people who I talk to. So, give me all the places you write at, because you, obviously you write at many places. Well, give me some of the places that you, you mainly write at. Okay. Um, I cover the heat for three different websites, if you can believe it. So, I'm on uh, Hot Hot Hoops, obviously, but I also do a couple of posts a week for Hoops Habit, which is part of the fan-sided network, and then I also write for All You Can Heat, which is also part of fan-sided. So, I'm split three ways when it comes to the Miami Heat, although that's liable to change in the near future. But what right. I'm really concentrating on the most is, is editing the Thunderous Intentions website, which is also part of Fansided. So that gives me a chance to write about a different team that I'm used to following, uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, which, you know, was a, an intriguing option when I took over the site earlier this year. Uh, they had a number of injuries, but still it was a fun adventure, fun, you know, exciting opportunity for me and i get to work with some really good writers so that's something that i'm looking forward to but i also do more creative writing for the cauldron uh which is part of the medium uh, network and that allows me to write on some pretty heady topics regarding yeah. basketball in general and, and you know they're a very good sports site so i really appreciate being able to write for them and of course hardwood paroxysm um that's 
to I me that's that yeah that's I love a, that site. you know that you really cover a pretty broad range of topics when you work for hp and i'm really enjoying my time i just i actually started writing for them maybe less than a month ago and i've already got a couple of good pieces that have gotten some really nice reception over there so i'm oh, expanding as phenomenal. much as possible thank you it's phenomenal like uh hp stuff like i subscribe to the like, like um to their feeds and stuff. Yeah. Let me tell you, if, if you're a hardcore hoops fan, like you and I are, that's the site you want to follow more than anything else. Cause I mean, you get really in depth, you know, you get everything really. You get in depth look, you get like sometimes satire a little bit, but it, sure. you get a lot of great quality writing on that site. I love that site personally. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, uh, sports, uh, obviously, you know, it, it's funny, like, you know, we look at this now. We, we've been Heat fans for a long time. We've been following the game for a long time. And the media has changed throughout the last 20, 25 years especially sports media um do you like where sports media is at now do you like the direction we're going in with all this access now uh there are like most things in life good and bad i'd say that uh overall it's quality in that um you get a lot more people involved that had not been like even my own personal journey is probably different than others you know i started writing a little over a year and a half ago and up to that point i had no idea that there was even this incredible basketball blogosphere. Um, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. You, you, you st- wait. You started writing like, only a year and a half ago. Only? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, basically. Overall, you never written before that. Ever? Um, no. I mean, I'd done some creative writing on my own, and and I work in PR, so that I mean, obviously, I've you know, I majored in English and journalism, so I had done some journalism style writing before, but I had been pretty much away from that field in general and concentrating okay. more on my professional development which was in pr so you know you always do a little bit okay. of writing okay but not necessarily about basketball not kind of you know covering those kind of topics so I, i'd say you know for the most part i pretty much started about a year and a half ago and and i didn't even realize that there was this whole other world out there so over that time I, i've realized that you know again there are some very very good things because a lot more people can stay connected because you can read all these different types of stories you get all this myriad number of voices that contribute to this incredible genre, and so it's a really exciting thing to witness. But then, by the same token, you'll get some, you know, you'll get some people who might not know exactly what they're talking about, or they just want to, you know, want to put hot takes out there and just kind of stir ah. controversy and do these kinds of things. So there's always good and bad. Um, you know, I think a part of it is just the way that writing in general, especially freelance writing, has evolved so that you're getting a lot of free labor. That's another problem that, you know, obviously a lot of people have a, an issue with. You know, you want to be compensated for the quality of your work, and I know that that's not something that's always readily available, but again, with a number of quality sites out there, you'd think that maybe there'd be a little bit more to distribute evenly for those of us that, you know, contribute on a regular basis. That's actually, actually, that's actually an interesting point there too. Like, I, I'm so I'm so stuck on the whole year and a half of writing thing. Well, I mean, obviously you cleared it up with the saying that you did PR and all stuff, and but to me, you, I mean, you're that good in a year and a half. I was like, wow, that's that's, that's an incredible growth <laughs> spurt from from start to, to now. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> you know? that. But yeah, like, like like the thing is too, like you know, I you know, and I I've always bragged for years that like I'm like the original blogger. Like blogging became popular probably in the late '90s, early 2000s. Um, but yet. I remember myself back in age 14, and I'm 30, I'll am i be 35 in two days, actually. Wow. And I remember back in early 90s, mid-90s, that I used to scribble stuff. I, I mean, I had interest in journalism for a while, but I really never went, went about doing it because I, I I guess I didn't really have the, the passion back then to do it. Yeah. But I'm, I used to brag about how, like, you know, oh, you know, I did blogging before blogging was actually popular. You know, I used to scribble, st- like, my thoughts on the heat back then. I thought my thoughts on the NBA as a whole, you know, and all that stuff. So I remember back then, like, saying, you know, 
Oh, this is great. I could I could do this whatever, but there's, there's no there's no platform because back then you didn't have the internet and like the way it is now and and right. all this like platforms and stuff, podcasting the whole nine. Now I'm like I, I I've I mean I've reiterated this many times over the course of the last couple weeks, especially too that the this the the how, how thankful I am to have this platform. You know, I, like you you don't need ESPN, Fox Sports, and all these other higher entities to to get your work out there. You know, sure. it, it, it would it'd be great if, if they see your work and, you know, obviously you can make that, parlay that into a, a great career. But you, you don't have to rely on that to, to have a voice. And I, and I think that's one of the things I'm so grateful for. Now, obviously, the, the, the flip side of that, of course, like you said, is going to be the a lot of the hot take stuff. And people, you know, you know, there's a lot more, uh, let's just say, really honest, um, behaviorable stuff. People who just want to shoot from the hip and say insulting things or just kind of like want to want to make a... A name for himself, so they'll say the most shocking thing in the world. I call it the Skip Bayless of journalism, of course. You know, and and to me, that's the, that's the negative. But you know, obviously, any positive has comes with negative also too. Um. So, so, but overall, I think I'm I am personally grateful for you know the platform we have. You and I. I mean, like I said, you got into the game a year and a half ago, and you never thought you, you had this kind of like platform. And now, look at this now, you're growing. And, and look, I, I mean, I'm shocked. You, you're a phenomenal writer, number one. I was just reading a Dirk Rose piece a couple days ago. You wrote last year, last summer. And I was like, wow, this is incredible, you know. <laughs> and, and, and I'll be honest with you, Dave, when I write with you on the hot and cold stuff for the for the ha ha hoop site, yeah. there's actually I'm I'm actually intimidated by you sometimes when I when I when I, <laughs> I, I, I want I want to make sure that I'm I'm not that I'm competing, but I want to make sure I'm I'm at least you know, holding my own, you know what I'm saying? So uh. Uh, don't, don't ever feel that way. I, I mean, you look, you know, everybody's got their own voice and, and uh, you know, it's just maybe I've had a little bit more training, you know, a little bit more professional training as far as it comes to I, that's the whole thing with my writing is that I really approach it that way from that perspective that, you know, there's always you have a story to tell. But then I think the difference becomes in how well you're able to craft it. And, and, I'll, and, and you know, believe me, as much as I appreciate your compliments on this. There's so much room for growth for me personally, and I think for all of us when it comes to this particular, you know, aspect of our lives. You know, I, I just finished up a piece for HP a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I had um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with uh, Steve McPherson, and this is a guy who's yeah, no, 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 yeah, he, he's done work on Rolling Stone, he's done work on a couple other sites. You know, he's 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 a, a major force in the blogging game, and and you know, he took my piece and he turned it on its ear, and you know, it, at first you're kind of insulted in the sense that. You know, it hurts to have your writing criticized by anybody. You don't want to ever be criticized about anything, but certainly you don't want your writing something that you take so personally. You know, as a creative aspect of your personality, you don't want it turned around like that. But you know what? At the end of the day, you know, it was successful because of his his edits, because of his changes. You know, he he really he made me to view, he made me view what I was writing about through a completely different lens. And and if I can even do that in a small measure through you, and that you want to, you know, again, not necessarily compete, but you want to, you know, match what I'm writing, then that's great. But at the same time, you're you're a great writer. You've got an incredible talent, um, and I think you've really got a great pulse on on basketball, the field of sports in general, and specifically about the Miami Heat. I mean, you, the the way that you. You're like the voice of the generations of Heat fans that are watching this team. I, you know, whenever we do the podcast, you know, it's the same thing. And that, you know, you represent 20 plus years of Heat history there. And, and you're so familiar with all of it. And so it's, it's, it's funny, too, because, like, I feel like I, 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 I don't know why I do that. I just feel like I have to. I, like, th- these last four years, you know, you've you gone through this whole thing with the LeBron thing and, and, and the front sure. runners and all that stuff. Sure, like, sure. And they say, oh, you're Heat fan? Oh, yeah. Oh, four years, two years, three years? And like, no, nah, dude. I, I've been hanging around here since, since Cycle Lee's uh, second year in the league, you know, right. got rest rookie year, you know. And I feel like I, 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 it got to a point years ago where I, I had to almost feel like I had to justify that. 
and, and remind you, oh, by the way, I know this also, I know this. And yeah, it might go, it may, it may get a little annoying at times, you're wrong. I mean, my wife hates it personally, because she thinks like, okay, enough. I know, we get it, you're a Heat fan for 20, 26 years, we get it. You know, but that, that I, I am still, you know, doing media now, um, you know, obviously, it's, it's been a little bit easier for all my teams I root for. Like, <clears throat> I, 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 I'm sure you know now, I, I'm all New York. Like, I'm New York everything except basketball and college football. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a diehard Giants fan, diehard Rangers fan, diehard Mets fan. But everything else is, is the Heat and the Order Seminoles. And I've had a, you know, doing this game now for four years now, um, I, it's been a lot easier now to separate myself from my allegiance to the team. In terms of, like, not just so much cheer for the team, but the the whole diehard thing and, you know, whatnot. The only team I will, I will be honest with you, I still have the strong attachment to still is the, is the Heat. Yeah, it is hard to kind of separate yourself like that. I mean, you read about, you know, you read work from guys like, and I think even, you know, Ethan Skolnick covered this earlier this year uh, when, you know, he had to make the, the switch from covering the Heat for pretty much his whole journalistic career, you know, working with the Herald, working with the Palm Beach Post as often as he did. I mean, he'd been following Miami for a good long time. And then all of a sudden, you know, obviously now as part of the Bleach Report, he had the opportunity to cover the last couple of years of the the Big Three in Miami. But -hmm. then, you know, with Miami's not necessarily collapse, but with the fact that they are no longer the preeminent team, he had to follow LeBron James to Cleveland because they've got a rapport there. Yeah, he took, LeBron took him too. Yeah, Yeah, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, it was tough. I think it was tough for him, but at the same time, he made the switch. He was able to kind of put aside the allegiance. You can still kind of hear it, you know, as much as he tries to resist it, you can kind of see that there's an incredible level of respect for the organization, one that doesn't necessarily exist with Cleveland right now because I think they're still very raw. They're trying to play Kate James. They're trying to do so much there to change the culture. And it's one that Miami already has, has had for decades now because of Pat Riley, because of Mickey Harrison, because of the of the number of players that have come through there. So I think as much as we'd all like to be journalists and have, you know, unbiased voices, the reality is we're also people and we're also going to prefer writing about certain teams. And, and that's okay. I, I mean, again, if you want to show your fan colors a little bit when you write about Miami, like I said, I think the fans love it. I think the people who read your work and listen to your show certainly appreciate that and you know uh, with the exception of your wife maybe i think everybody appreciates your incredible history well, she, she knows, and the, knowledge heat. Of well, she knows the heat though she doesn't yeah. the heat though yeah but, she just uh, doesn't want you reminding everybody that your decades of heat you know what it is though <laughs> every time you point it out it makes her feel old that's why she doesn't want you to say it that's true <laughs> that's very true <laughs> um I, I guess we could go there now since we teased it um your thoughts on Riley's comments last week on, you know, what, which wasn't directed to LeBron necessarily, but was directed to LeBron. We know it's directed to LeBron. The whole, uh, uh, you know, the comments he made. Um, uh, I, I forgot the quote now. I came like head in my head. I forgot the quote. Uh, no smiling faces with the, you know, whatever, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, did, did that bother you? No smiling faces with no with hidden, hidden agendas. agendas. Yeah, exactly. Um, We're going to come to this clean. Did it bother me? I, you know, the thing is that outside of South Florida, I think a lot of people think, oh, Christ, you know, Riley's still hung up on, on LeBron James. And you know what? As far as I'm concerned, um, I, I don't care. I think he was he had every right to point that out, and I think it was right of him to do so. Look, the fact is Riley is an incredible speaker. We all know that. And he's very purposeful when choosing whatever words that he does. And so with this, he wanted to let it be known that he still 
thinks about last offseason. And, and, and I think he summarized it perfectly. You know, there was this whole time where he was meeting with a guy he thought he had a relationship, a friendship with, and LeBron James. And the whole time he was already planning this return to Cleveland, something that he had you know, had in the works for weeks, maybe even longer. Um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I think it was certainly within Riley's right to point that out publicly, and I have no problem with it. I think he should have done so. I think that's you know part of the, my problem earlier in the season, and certainly during the off season, we talked about this on a number of occasions. Is right. that you know LeBron kind of led on this franchise, and maybe and, and you're right, he didn't have to. He was a free agent. He's a human being. He's an, he's an American. He has every right to choose whatever career and wherever he wants to work, and that's great. But at the same time, I think there's something disingenuous about how. He told the Heat one thing, acted in another way completely, and then for the rest of the country to embrace this incredible BS narrative of him coming home, uh, to me, that always left a, a foul taste in my mouth. And you know what? If Riley wants to point it out, I support him 100% because I still do the same thing. I, you know, I'm, I'm against the whole process of him going to Cleveland and, and, and leaving me, Miami back in a, in a lurch, so to speak. And, and I think yeah. that... You know, he kind of misled the team and certainly misled the, the front office a little bit throughout the whole process. And, and only that, it misled a team that, I mean, it wasn't like Cleveland where seven years of no help and not much um, not much done for him. You know, you came to a team in Miami that, you know, you know, we, you know Riley dropped the rings on his table in 2010. You know, this is what you're coming here for, for right. rings. And then the very thing that you came here for, you accomplished twice. And pretty much, you, and only that. I think what's so underrated with the whole thing is that every year you competed for a title. Every year you were in the finals. Every year you were in the in in that in that conversation to win a title, whether you won or lost against Dallas or San Antonio. But the fact that, that those things were promised and were delivered, you know, I think I, I don't think Miami deserved the lead along. I, I don't think I don't think they deserved all that. I mean, you can say from the outside, oh, well, Riley's got got what's coming because he's you know he's kind of the same way. Yeah, but it's still, you know it. Then there's a lot more things about Riley Nick's departure that we don't know that we're not privy to. That some things I know that is not out there publicly that we that you know that needs to be addressed. Um, there's 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 still differences, you know. I, I mean, I, I'm referring to Brian Windhorst's piece oh, yeah. last week after, but you know, for the most part, he actually did actually get most of what he said correct. I thought that was a little bit too much. It was too heavy-handed on on Riley, though. I think there were some things that he was he was missing on that article, but you know, whatever it is what it is going forward, but. I just think that, you know, the fact that you came here for titles, you got titles, and like I say, you do what the hell you want, it's, but guys took less money twice, you know, way too less money, Bosch took less money the first time, and then they did it again, well, Bosch, well, Bosch cashed out anyway, but, <laughs> you know, UD, UD takes less money, and Wade takes less money to, to ensure that, you know, you come back for whatever a year or two, whatever, and you can build this and you know do this whole thing all over again for a fifth, maybe a fifth, fifth uh, finals run, and then you just say, "Well, I'm done," and and don't even like so much give a clue to to Riley. You leave him along, have him fly to Vegas for no reason at all. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, there's always been something a little bit immature about LeBron James, and and you know a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was probably given so much on a silver platter. I mean, you can't take away from his incredible work ethic and the fact that he's had to, you know, he's had to develop himself to becoming the player that he is. You can take genetics only so far, and clearly he's done that and much more beyond that. You know, he's turned himself right. in probably, uh, you know, a generational player and probably one of the top five players of all time, so... Um, he's a hell of a player, but there's always been something about his personality. And I know you, it's, it's tough to get into personality sometimes, but 
I, there's always been something that kind of struck me a little odd about how he approaches the media, how he talks to people in general. Uh, and I think we saw a little bit of, of that last summer and, and how he dealt with Pat Riley and the heat. You know, he, he could have done things a lot differently just for my sake. And, and I mean, you know, he doesn't owe me anything clearly, but I think, right. I think that he should have been a little bit more honest and open about what he wanted rather than like, you know, Riley pointed out no hidden agendas. There were clearly some, some things that he had that he was thinking about in the back burner there. And, and, you know, he misled the team a little bit. I just wish he'd, he'd handle it differently. And then for it to be as sugar-coated as, it, you know, as he did with the whole I'm coming home piece the on Sports Illustrated. Yeah, yeah the I, there was something about that that just rubbed me the wrong way. So, again, you know, it, it is over. I think it's always going to leave a bad taste for me personally and for a lot of Heat fans. But, you know, I'm glad that this season has progressed the way it did because I think even, even with Miami struggling as much as they have, it's kind of changed the whole perspective of, of the Heat. It's so far removed from the big three era now just because of the number of injuries and the number of transformations this team has gone through over the last season. It's kind of hard to even remember that just a year ago we were wondering who we were going to advance to face in the NBA Finals because it was almost a foregone conclusion that we would advance past the Pacers. Well, it was humbling, number one. And I think also last summer we were so wrapped up in LeBron leaving that we were so... We were so fixated on like, okay, you left us. Okay, watch this. We're gonna, we're gonna rebuild and and we're gonna compete with you guys and take you guys out. You know, so we get Lou Waldang, which I, st- I still think a, I think was a great signing personally. And we we get all these guys and, and we think, okay, well, this team is gonna be right in the mix with Cleveland. And I, I think, I think to be honest, with you having this year happen the way it did was actually a good thing going forward because I think what it does it it allows the Heat to say, okay, we are because now we're definitely done with LeBron era. I think this actually closed the door in the LeBron era. Because now Absolutely. it's like, okay, you know what? We have we have our own we have our own garbage to take care of now. We have our own like issues to take care of, and it's it's bigger than LeBron James, you know. So now you you come to the summer, Goran Dragic needs to be resigned, which all signs point that happening. Um, you look at uh, you know, obviously Hassan Whiteside, you know, uh, and his future going forward. Dwayne Wade, how do you utilize Dwayne Wade moving forward? Chris Bosh back from his health issues. There's so many things to look forward to, you know, and so much things to take care of here at home. That I think the LeBron things is like it's like a second second it's like something in the past like far far gone now. LeBron James to me now is, is almost far gone. I mean, the only time you ever hear LeBron has come up now is when the national media picks a little quote from Pat Riley or right. not. Other than that, is to me I I've gone off like I told you I got off I got off that LeBron thing pretty quick um when the season started. So um but the future of the Heat were quick um and I I said they won't spend much time on this but we're doing that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the future of the Heat, I I, I think it's a great. I, I, I there's a lot of people like Bill Simmons and and, and whatnot, and, and a lot of people are high Miami going forward. A lot, a lot of people thinks the Heat if they come back with the same roster next season with some retooling going forward that they're a top three or four team in the Eastern Conference. Do you do you agree with that? Oh, I think that's clearly the case. Um, I, I think we saw that Dwayne Wade is still a very strong player, especially when he's. You know, somewhat healthy like he was this past year. Yes, yeah, certainly he missed some games earlier and uh, you know midway through the season. But I think we saw him come on strong as a, you know later in the season, and that's what you want. You weren't sure if he was going to be able to deliver the way he was, but there was that stretch there against Cleveland, against Portland, and and a few games prior to that where he was averaging close to thirty points per game. I think he was Player of the Month, if I'm not mistaken. So yes, he was. Uh, he was a you know he was a, a heck of a sight for Heat fans to see Wade still performing at a high level, but but not. Not just Wade, but you've got Chris Bosh who's you know expected to come back at full strength. If Luol Deng opts in, I think that's that's great for the team. Um, if Goran Dragic resigns, that's you know one of the premier point guards in in a really 
you know, great time for point guards in general in the NBA, and he's one of the best finishers at the rim. He's a great shooter. He's a great distributor. There's nothing he can't do, and he's got a good size. I think his defense will probably take it to a next level here in Miami. And then you've got Hassan Whiteside. I mean, you've got a building block for the future here. No one expected to, to perform it the way he did. But with one offseason of all those guys playing together, you're going to have one of the best starting units in the NBA, period. I mean, not just the Eastern Conference, but I think one of the top teams in the league. And if you can keep a player like Josh McRoberts available, you know, have Mario Chalmers off the bench, and maybe draft a pretty high, you know, a high pick, maybe a quality wing player, maybe a center, who knows, you're going to have a really good, really deep, veteran-laden team, a team that's you know accomplished, that has the confidence, that has the ability and the talent, that has a good mix of all those different pieces that it takes to get a really good team going. We saw from Cleveland earlier this year that you know despite the top-heavy levels of talent, it's not enough to have them stand out. They had to make some trades, get a couple of additional pieces here and there. You know, Timothy Mozgov, J.R. Smith, Iman Schumpert, etc., and, and that paid off for them. They really wanted on a pretty good streak there towards the later part of the season. But I think Miami has those places, those pieces already in place. And I, I expect it to be one of the top teams in the league, without a doubt. Look, let's look at the Eastern Conference quick next year. Like, sure. the, it, it, it's going to be weird because, like, Cleveland, obviously, they have their own issues. Is Kevin Love going to opt in? I think he opts in, but that's not a guarantee. If he leaves, there's a hole there. Um, Atlanta, I don't think they'll be as good as they were this year. Um, Chicago, they're going to lose to at the end of the year. Washington, I mean, it's a hit and miss thing with Washington, you know, with the, well, uh, I mean, they, they might be still be pretty good, but you know where they're going to go, <laughs> at least the next year. Um, yeah. They look at the rest of the Eastern Conference. I mean, Milwaukee's pretty good, but they're not, they're not going to be 51 as good yet. You know, there's a, there's a lot of room for a team like Miami, or even Indiana, for example, to reclaim what they were the last couple of years. Well, without LeBron, obviously. Like, it, it feels like that, you know, the trend, there's a lot of transition going on in the NBA. And I think for at least one year, Miami has an opportunity to be probably the second best team in the Eastern Conference behind Cleveland. I mean, if you, if you really think about it, the Eastern Conference is such a big transition, you know, with all these potential moves. Like, Thibodeau leaving Chicago is a big deal because, you know, they lose Thibodeau, they might lose Jimmy Butler also too. Then, then now, now the Bulls are stripped with, with talent now. So there's a lot of things going on here in, in, in the Eastern Conference that can affect the balance going forward. And Miami, at least for one more year, has the roster necessary to make noise it is not far-fetched to see this team be a number two seed in the Eastern Conference next year. I agree. Um, you know, you, you you talk about Thibodeau and, and Butler. You seem pretty confident about that. You think he's he's definitely Thibodeau's gone. done. Thibodeau's done. Every 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 sign I've seen the last year, and then and, and now the reports are ratcheting up now. I mean that he won't be back. They're even going to fire him or he'll walk. I mean you're hearing you're hearing links now to him going to Orlando, and with Billy Donovan going to probably going to Oklahoma City, which we we'll get to in a second. I mean that only makes it the rumors much stronger. You know, so, I mean, he leaves there and Butler doesn't resign. And, and given Chicago's history of not wanting to pay players, I mean, <laughs> I'll tell you, the East, the East could, could be very different next year than we saw this year. I, I, I thought Definitely. this year was a was a weird season because, you know, obviously Indiana not having Paul George, Miami's issues with injuries and stuff. Um, but those teams you see on top right now may not be the same. Outside Cleveland, of course, you got LeBron James, so that's, that's not going to change. Outside Cleveland, they, they could be a, a, a big mix again uh, next season. That, you know, it's interesting you point that out because, you know, this year was a big transition, obviously, uh, you know, because of LeBron and, you know, upset the, the talent level and everything else. They much more evenly paired out. And as you pointed out, Atlanta was unexpectedly great for most of the regular season. And, you know, they still clearly have some bumps that they've gone through in the postseason, but you know, they're, they're still going to make some noise at some point. But, you know, next year could be another transition year. And that's something that mm -hmm. you definitely don't expect 
from the Eastern Conference going forward all the time is that you're just going to have these, you know, year in, year outs, you know, changing transitions, etc. And that just kind of reemphasizes that whole notion of the Eastern Conference as compared to the Western Conference. It's, yeah. uh, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's probably going to force the NBA to make some major changes, maybe realign the whole conference system. Are you, are maybe you for that? Because I'm not. I'm not for that. I'm, I'm, I'm a traditionalist at heart. I, I, I've made that quite clear on numerous shows and all these podcasts that I, I don't, I think this is all on a cycle. I think, you know, you'll see at some point teams get better. I think the East will get better. I think, and not only that, I think a lot, with a lot of the rumors, if all the rumors would be true, like let's say Durant goes to Washington <laughs> next summer and all, all these rumors we hear about certain players in the West going out East, that might affect the balance going forward. And the, a lot of the teams in, in, in the West, um, for example, like a San Antonio, who's on the last legs, obviously, you know, although they might reboot, with, you know, re-upping Kawhi and, and maybe getting a Gasol, maybe getting a, uh, a, a, a Marcus Aldridge, you know, but there's a lot of teams in the West also that are, may be stripped down to their, to their bear if, if they lose players like Portland, like, like Memphis, Memphis could be all in this year too. We don't know that. So there's a lot of moving parts here that people aren't considering for these next year or two and next three years, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. I think you know you don't know what's going to happen if they actually went and move forward with realignment. So it's it's hard to say. You know, I think a lot of us, you know, me in particular, you and somewhat, you know, are resistant to change. We never know what's going to happen. And you're right; it could all just wind up working itself out. But you know, I don't know. It, it, you can't resist change just for the lack of you know you know just for change's sake or not making change's sake. So it's, you know, it might be something worth considering. The problem is that if you do move forward with it and it doesn't work out, then what do you do? Do you go back? Is that basically an admission that, that you you made a mistake? I think eventually they just they'll probably leave things as is. I think they'll probably yeah. follow your what you what you expect to happen and that just going to leave Yay. it alone knowing that things are going to work themselves out <laughs> just because there's just Yay. too much change yeah i mean yeah it's just it would be too much for them to change over and then then if things don't work out a hundred percent then next thing you know you're gonna you can't just go back and say well we shouldn't have done it in the first place you can't admit that you made a mistake so you know you're just gonna have to stick with it and, and that's not gonna work either so uh we'll see what happens but right yeah certainly a number of uh of pieces falling in place here, and, and and you point out a big one in Kevin Durant, so that's a, that's one that scares me in particular when I think and Westbrook City. and Westbrook and Westbrook in two years after, a year after that. So, hey, this is Jabari Davis of BasketballInsiders.com, and you're tuning into the EJ Christian Radio Experience. That's right, folks, and it, it's an experience, not just a show.
Um, that's actually a great segue. I was going to the, to that anyway too. Um, the Thunder. Now you, you cover the Thunder, obviously, um, as well. And let me let me ask you first off before we get to uh, the future of the Thunder. Were you shocked at the Scott Brooks firing? And I'll ask that first by saying, in my opinion, I'm still shocked because of the fact that while I agree it was probably necessary for this unit because I thought they reached their ceiling with him three years ago in the finals. I think I think the the, the cracks started showing in that finals as Miami. Um, and I thought this team never got better, and I thought he got breaks because of the fact that he had a major injury each year, so he got a break here and there. And I, and I like Scott Brooks personally. Uh, I'm shocked that this happened all, only because of the fact I thought they when they said they were, were going to evaluate him, I thought that it was a posturing move. It was going to kind of like acquiesce to the fan base and this, uh, you know, say they're reevaluating when in fact they weren't going to do that and they'll give him one more year and then go from there. I'm shocked. How shocked are you? Um, I am shocked, although I already thought once they went through the whole process of making it public that they're evaluating him, that basically they were just trying to figure out the, the exact you know specifics as to when they would fire him because Sam Presti and the whole organization, they're very, very intelligent. He's a very intelligent person, and I noticed something in just the past few months of covering this team. There is a level of secrecy that borders on paranoia and and there is nothing that isn't made public without their complete you know support they they do it with a big plan in mind and i think the firing and hiring is part of that i in a way i almost expect them to you know move forward from kevin durant i think that whoever they hire is about the next era of oklahoma city thunder basketball where they wind up doing it without kevin durant because i don't think they plan on him you sound, you sound convinced that he's done after next year. It's hard for me to say this necessarily because I think he does you know, publicly say he wants to be part of the team and everything else. But I mean, what's going to happen next year? Whoever was going to coach the team next year was going to enjoy some level of success because barring any injury, you're going to have Westbrook playing possibly better than he has all career long. Uh, Serge Ibaka is going to return at full strength. You're going to have, you know, if they re-sign Ennis Cantor, um, pick up a, a draft pick, maybe make a, a couple changes via free agency here and there. They have, you know, this past season, they had their arguably their deepest team ever, uh, probably their most talented team ever, and that's considering that they had James Harden, you know, before he became the player that he is today. Um, I thought they were going to make a, a real legitimate run, and then the injuries just kept mounting and mounting and mounting, and clearly they weren't going to be able to sustain that without key players. But the way that this organization runs itself, you know, again, Presti had to say publicly that neither, you know, Durant or Westbrook were aware of the firing change and that they had no say in the matter. But I think that was mostly to protect their superstar players because, you know, they were going to get bashed for turning on their coach, etc. Um, so I think they're already on board with you know, whoever's going to be hired. And, and and part of why I think Billy Donovan in particular has shown up as a candidate to coach his team, it's, it seems from all the reports that he's almost a lock um, to join the Oklahoma City Thunders. So part of that, I think, is the fact that he has a decades-long relationship with Sam Presti. So you're looking about somebody who is fairly unproven. Um, you know, he's had a lot of success in the college level, but that might not necessarily translate to the NBA and so it's all about maintaining that relationship with Presti, keeping it all in-house, having a clear vision moving forward. And that's probably one that doesn't involve Durant. I think, you know, um, the fact that maybe Durant wants to go to D.C. Um, and they have a player, Bradley Beal, there who would probably be a significant part of any sign-and-trade deal. And he had somebody that's been coached by Donovan. 
Um, you have to take that into consideration. That's a good angle, actually. It's a good angle. Now, here's here's the thing for me personally. I I think the uh, the going home thing is too easy. I think it's way too easy to just assume that okay, well, if LeBron did it, then surely Durant would go there. I think that's way too easy. I think it's an overrated analysis. I think it works for LeBron because LeBron is a different different guy. Um, the way the way Durant is looked at in Oklahoma City is like almost like a deity, honestly. If you think about it, like he's like a god. He's, a god, he's a god in Oklahoma City. Like to me, he's a guy that you, you, you know he says Oklahoma City. He's he's getting a statue when he retires. You know what I'm saying? I, I think this. this I had, go ahead. I had no idea that he was as greatly revered as he was. Uh, it's yes. it's interesting that you pointed out, but yeah, absolutely. No, I mean they. You cannot besmirch the name of Kevin Durant anything and anything you say because he is so beloved there. The way he's, I, I, I've never seen anything like it. I mean. From all our years of, of following the Heat and seeing them locally and everything else, I don't think any one player has ever been beloved. Maybe maybe Dan Marino, and that's in football, obviously. I, I don't think any other athlete in South Florida has ever been as revered and as beloved as Kevin Durant is by the Oklahoma City Thunder fans. So even the, the, the notion that he might leave seems preposterous to them because he keeps, you know, part of how they why they love him as much as they do is because they see him as being this kind of anti-LeBron player, that he's so loyal and that he's just a good family man and he's just, you know, such a good kid in general. And they really, really just love him there. So that's why it's so hard for them to even conceive of the possibility that he could leave them via free agency. Right. And, and there's differences between him and LeBron, too, also in their situations. You know, Durant's situation in Oklahoma City is way better right now, currently constructed, than LeBron's first seven years in Cleveland. Like, Durant has a championship team in place right now. So, oh, yeah. if Durant is, is to leave, it's because of personal reasons. My, LeBron left Cleveland because of professional reasons. He was, he was staying in Cleveland. If, if the Cavs win one title in his first seven years, he's, staying, he's not leaving Cleveland. Yeah. It's, it's just that simple. You know, so with Durant, if this is why I think next year is interesting, because if I, I think next year's all in year, I think they re up Enos Cantor. I like I, I actually like the roster going to next year. I think you know DJ, guys like DJ Augustine are guys who can fill in the gap. I, I think this is the most balanced roster we've had since when when they lost Harden. Um, yeah. I think this roster healthy. Obviously, health is the biggest issue. Healthy. I think can compete with Golden State. I think that the, I, I think that the favorites win it all next year if with, with this roster being health, fully healthy. I think if Durant's healthy and knowing what he's went through last this year with the injury and stuff, I think Durant couldn't win MVP next year. I think Durant can go you know, absolutely bonkers, and I think that that, that could be part into a championship. And if, if he wants to ring there, I mean, why would you leave that? You know, why would you leave that kind of, especially the city where, you know, they look at you and. It, I don't think DC would appreciate Durant that Oklahoma, like Oklahoma City does currently. I'm sorry. You're probably right about that. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he would take over the franchises completely. I don't know. I mean, they don't. Have, they have a history there with the Bullets, and you know, they even had a championship success there. But I'm just not sure that that Durant would be. He can't possibly be as beloved in Washington as he is in Oklahoma City. And you're absolutely right. But I think part of the problem, though, is that. This year was that all-in year. I mean, Pressy's a guy who typically at the trade deadline doesn't make a lot of moves. There's always kind of, you know, digging around and maybe looking under some rocks for a player here and there that you can get on the cheap, maybe make a few phone calls, but then the trade deadline comes and goes, and you don't make a move. You did it. You know, they acquired Ennis Cantor. They got rid of Kendrick Perkins miraculously. You know, they get rid of <laughs> Reggie Jackson, who had become a clubhouse cancer. Um, 
you know, they made a lot of good, smart moves at the trade deadline that certainly propelled them into, you know, one of the top teams in the Western Conference. They probably, I mean, I, I think as much as it would have been a challenge for them to have knocked off Golden State, had Kevin Durant been healthy towards the later part of the season, they probably wouldn't have wound up at the eighth seed. They probably would have advanced to maybe as high as a fifth or sixth seed. I, yeah. That's my opinion, but I think they could have certainly done it. They were on a good roll before Durant, you know, broke his foot and they had to, you know, get surgery again. But well, um, the issue though, too, Dave, the, the, thing, the thing is, here's the thing though. It wasn't that they failed this year because they didn't have the help. Their two best players weren't available most of the season. Well, Russell, Russ was what missed what like 18 games this year. Yeah, it's it, towards the start of the season, and then yeah. at that point, I mean, he didn't even miss a game after he, he had facial reconstruction. Well, he missed exactly. one game after getting his face reconstructed, right. and that's about it. I mean, so it's not like, well, I didn't have the hell, I'm leaving. You're the reason why you guys didn't win this year, because you weren't available to play for your team, and then your second best player had was out 18, 19 games as well, too. So right. it's not like, you know, the help, and Presti made the moves necessary to, to help this team, and, and, it, and it worked. I mean, they're... They were one tiebreaker away from me in the playoffs this year. One tiebreaker. Yeah, it's, it. it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, and, and they were certainly a strong team in the second half of the season when they did have Duran and Westbrook there. They looked, you know, unbeatable for, for a good stretch there. Um, it, it's, it's just you wonder why they fired Brooks then. Because although you point out that, you know, there's going to be that maybe they've reached their, their peak or whatever, you know, why do it now when you know this team's going to come back at full strength next year and whoever's there, I mean, it could be Scott Brooks, it could be me for crying out loud, and you're going to win close to 60 games, uh, you know, with this roster at its peak. Right. If, if, again, if they're healthy and everybody's back, whoever's going to be there next year is going to enjoy Steve Kerr-like success. You know what I'm saying? That's true. So by the, by why the make it... Yeah, exactly, exactly. So why make a move unless they're already planning beyond... Whatever happens next season, right? Um, and that's why I think maybe they're already envisioning a world without KD there. Right. Let's talk playoffs real quick. Um, let me ask you quickly: uh, the first round of playoffs, are you enjoying it so far? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, there have been some disappointments. Uh, I'll be honest with you, but at, at the same time, I think uh, tell me it's, some. It's been, tell me some. Tell me some. Well, I think uh, the Mavericks. And yeah. the Rockets matchup, I think that was certainly supposed to be a lot more exciting. But I'm kind of glad to see the the demise of Rajon Rondo taking place on such a public stage. Oh, really? Why is that? Not a fan. I've huh? never liked him. I've never liked him. No, absolutely not. I, I mean, again, I know I'm I'm probably allowing myself to be a lot more emotionally involved than I should be. But you know, <laughs> something about Rondo and those early clashes with the Heat, and even when they were at their championship peak in Boston, you know, I. They were always in the way of, of Miami achieving any kind of postseason success before the Big Three era, and then afterwards they were that that obstacle, that major obstacle in their way. There, I mean, just even you remember, you probably do, of course, who I'm talking to, but you remember yeah. the first game of the regular season of the Big Three era. I mean, they were right there. I mean, it, you know, it, it was it was no coincidence that they scheduled Miami at the first regular season game of the Big Three era to face the Boston Celtics that were up he to that point. That game. The he was terrible that game. They, I think they scored like what, nine points in the first quarter of that game. Yeah, they looked disjointed. <laughs> they looked like there was no no kind of connectivity there. Uh, you know, Kevin Durant standing over everybody, yelling, screaming as he always does. You know, even Ray Allen at that point knocking down threes. It was just. It was particularly painful. So, I, I mean, just Rondo in, in Dallas, I don't think anybody expected it to go this badly. I mean, you no, could have maybe foreseen that. 
You thought he was going to do this badly? I, I, no, I wrote I wrote about it back in in January when they made the trade. Like this is a championship move here. This because I I thought Rondo fit better with veterans. So basically, you have the same team, almost similar to what Boston had with him. Yeah. Big three era. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you get yeah. that stability going with that. And I I gotta tell you, I and I'm the guy that's actually got you know through the years and got really gotten learned to appreciate Dirk Nowitzki. I really feel bad for for Dirk right now. I really do because he's taking less money. He took less money to bring this team together, and and look what, look what came of it. I mean, <laughs> it's terrible. It, it, yeah, they had some real title aspirations in Dallas there, and, and there were legitimate ones. I mean, they had Chandler Parsons, Tyson Chandler. They had some really good pieces in place, and although Dirk is you know, near the end of his career, clearly, um, they could have made another run for it, and I think Rondo just destroyed that completely. So yeah, absolutely. I think, I think Doc Rivers doesn't get a lot of credit for the coaching job he did in Boston because of the talent level that they had overall, but if for no other reason that he was able to manage – uh, Rajon Rondo, he gets a lot more credit, at least in my book. Yeah, um, I and I was talking about this earlier. I, I I expect Dallas to make a lot of moves this summer. I think I think Rondo's done in Dallas. Obviously, that's an obvious move there. But I yeah. think Mont- Monte Ellis, I think he could be done in Dallas. Um, they may even let uh, Tyson, Ch- Tyson Chandler walk. Possibly, I don't know. Depending on what the market is, is for centers, um, uh, I, I I just I feel bad for Dallas. I I really do. I might, I might be a Mavericks fan, but I for Dirk especially because Dirk took less money to you know. To to build a you know basically doing the, doing the Tim Duncan thing, and right. it, it basically it felt it, it blew up in his face pretty much. Um, but you, you're right. You talk about Dallas and Houston. I'm really shocked that Houston is this good. Are they really this good? Or is this is, is this a combination of uh, playing the right team at the right time? I, you know what? That's a, a heck of a question. Because um, I think it's, I, I, I think that's what it is. I think it's it, it's I I don't I still I'm uh, maybe this is me being you know. Being stubborn, I, I'm I'm not the biggest Harden fan. Although I think I think they should consider doing co MVP this year. I think him and Curry should be co MVPs. I thought Harden we did this year was amazing. Um, yeah, I'm just not sold on that dynamic moving forward. You know, I, I was convinced that Houston was going to fall apart this season, and it just goes to show you how little I know sometimes. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, you you saw at the start of the year when there was that whole controversy about uh, Dwight and and Harden kind of sitting setting themselves apart from the rest of the team and they, they look like there was clearly some tension there yeah. with the other guys in the roster and who would have thought that if you add Corey Brewer and Josh Smith to that volatile combination all of a sudden you have this incredibly dominant team and here, here we are where they've they've won a record number of games for that franchise they're, they're one of the top seeds in the West which by the way they, Dave which by the way by the way, also, yeah. you talk about Coach of the Year. I mean, obviously, Kerr, you know, Kerr could have won it. Obviously, Coach Bud won in Atlanta. But sure. Kevin McHale should have more consideration, seriously. Well, yeah, I agree 100%. And, and you know what? I'm a little surprised, and maybe there's a little heat homer in me, but, I mean, I'm surprised Eric Spolstra didn't get much consideration. And I know you look at the fact <laughs> that he didn't make the playoffs. That was never but happening. No, brother. seriously. Considering 30-something different lineups that he had to go through and all the injuries and everything else, he, he did a pretty admirable job. So right, I think he should have right. gotten at least one vote. I'm surprised he didn't. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, Houston was a surprise to me all season. They've continued to do so. I can't take them lightly anymore. I don't know if they're going to be able to match up with the Warriors or, or the Spurs, but um, I, I, they, they might be a legitimate contender. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to eat my words, and uh, we'll just have to wait it out and see well, what they're, happens. They're going to draw a Clippers-Spurs uh, winner. Um, or San Antonio, and right. probably San Antonio. I, I, I think it's over in six. Personally, I'm recording on a Wednesday, so um, 
uh, I, I think it's over. I, I thought when last night's game was pretty much, you know, the Clippers had to win that game. If not, I, I, I don't see San Antonio losing two home games in the series. That's good luck with that. And I mean, by the way, I'm actually rooting for the Spurs to win the whole thing. I, I want Timmy to get number six. Um, Ty Jordan for number six, for, uh, for, for the sixth ring, of course. Um, I, I gotta tell you, it, it's incredible watching Tim Duncan. You know, I, I know he's not the most flashy player ever. I mean, obviously we know that Mr. Fundamentals, the whole nine. But watching Tim Duncan in his in his in his uh in his final final days, it, it's incredible. I, I think people are now starting to see how just how good this guy is. Yeah, I mean, he's you kind of tend to overlook San Antonio, and I know that's been the narrative for many many years. But I mean, when you look at how they keep competing, I mean, nobody nobody expected them to be finalists over the last two seasons and to be as dominant as they are. And then what they did last year, where they kind of just revolutionized how basketball was played in the modern era. That was unbelievable. I mean, I, you know, Miami was a very, very good team, even though they were battling their own injury issues in, in the finals. But, I mean, I don't know that any team could have competed with San Antonio. Remember, they buzzed their way completely through the Western Conference playoffs. I mean, there was no team there that could compete with them, with the exception of Dallas, Dallas. and that's because of the whole in-state rivalry thing. Um but still, uh, you know, they're a very impressive unit last year. They've been just as good this year, especially towards the second part of the season. I'm not so sure that I feel the same way about wanting to see San Antonio win it all again. If I had to pick a team out west, it would probably be the Golden State Warriors. But based on ones or based on what you think is going to happen? Well, I think both. I think they're going to win it, and I th- kind of want them to win it also. I think there's a, a need for that franchise to kind of separate themselves a little bit from the past uh you know they've got the shadow of rick barry hanging over them and and this is a different team it looks like a really well-run team you know steve kerr has done an incredibly admirable job there so that's something that you have to to kind of tip your hat towards and i think it's a good squad i think curry's a hell of a player and, and certainly deserving of MP, mvp consideration they've got really nice pieces there in place I think they're going to win it, and I kind of want them to. But that doesn't take away anything from what San Antonio has done over the years. And certainly Tim Duncan, probably one of my favorite players of all time. I think I was just having this discussion two days ago whether or not he's the top power forward in NBA history. Oh, I that's, not even, that's, not even an argument. that's not even an argument. Put it, put it this way. And I said this last time with my friends. He's number one with a bullet. There's not even a close second. Yeah. There's it's, not. It's, yeah, I mean, if you look at the other greats, Carl Malone, Barkley, etc. I mean, Intangibles, man. The intangibles yeah. will separate him from everybody else. He, he does little things right, you know, and uh, he's incredible. He's absolutely incredible. Um, we were discussing earlier on the, uh, earlier about the, about the ever changing, you know, things that could happen this summer and next summer moving forward. I think the Western Conference is in for change also too, potentially. Look, look, look at the West. Obviously, you have Golden State. I think Golden State is going to be good for a long time. They're 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 they're, they're just stable. Although they may lose some parts here and there. I mean, unless they keep Draymond Green, which I, I think right now at this point is, is a a, a, a priority, and you know, having Clay Thompson's actually friendly contract actually was actually will look friendly now with a new salary cap. Um, uh, you know, it gives Golden State a lot of, of room to be good for a long time. Um, Oklahoma City is a team that could be in transition in the next year or two. Um, not just losing Durant, but also Westbrook the year after that. Uh, San Antonio's on his last legs. Although I do think that if Pop's still there post Duncan, they they re up Kawhi. Uh, bring in another guy, maybe Aldridge or bring in Marcus Saul. I, I predicted Marcus Saul before the year even started that he'd be a spur if Duncan leaves. Um, but that's a team in, in limbo a little bit too. Uh, I think Memphis. Is, this is this is a uh, all in year for Memphis. I think if if they if they don't make it at least the conference finals 
um, this season. They they could be a team in transition as well too. Because if Gasol decides to leave, although some signs now say that he might stay in Memphis, um, but I, I don't think Zach Randolph will, will get any better than he is now. Uh, Portland might lose players. Um, if they lose, if they lose Aldridge or West Matthews and or Robert Lopez, so the Western Conference is another conference that is in transition too, um, and could be in major transition going forward in the next two years, two or three years. So, I think when you look at the stability wise, I think Cleveland and Golden State are the two teams in each conference, and maybe Miami if they can kind of keep retooling the next two three years, could be teams that can st- you know kind of say hey you know what we're we're here we're we're we're, we're the future the next two three years. Going forward, oh, that's a, those are a lot of interesting points there. But I mean, I, even Golden State, though, if you think about it, what if Draymond leaves, and then Bogut, you know, who's the the anchor of their their defense, you know, succumbs to injury as he has so often over the past couple of years? Right. Is this team still going to be as as powerful as they were earlier this year? You know, chances are that's not the case. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know that they have. Anybody who can fill in for those two pieces should you know something happen. I mean, Maurice Spates is a nice player, and, and, and you know certainly it's good to have David Lee on the bench if you need to have him, and Andre Iguodala, etc. Yeah, you know, they've got a really deep Latin team there, but I don't know. It, it's so hard to predict exactly. No one would have envisioned that Oklahoma City would have been out of the playoffs, you know, or that you know the number of injuries that took place throughout the season. Well, you know, look, we just talked about Houston. You know, despite losing Dwight Howard for as often as they did. They were still a very dominant team, so you really can never tell. But there's, it, it certainly shapes up to be one of the most exciting off seasons in recent memory. And it's not just because it's not going to be about LeBron James. So that's what, that's, what makes that's it cool. much more, more yeah. enticing. As far absolutely. as I'm concerned, I think it makes. Yeah, you know, there's so many different teams that could upgrade. And, and I think that's what the league wants, right? I mean, we're going to see incredible levels of parity over the next few years. And if that's the case, then then their plan has worked perfectly. And they're, the, all the talk of realignment and everything else, well, that's that'll just fall to the wayside when you see a number of teams able to compete at a high level. It could have it's, it's up for grabs. The title is up for grabs this year. And although I think you certainly you have teams like you know, Golden State who, who've stood out, you know, Cleveland, had it not been for Kevin Love's injury, probably would have been one of the top teams in there. But now it looks like, you know, the Eastern Conference, who will represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals, and how can they possibly match up against a, a strong team out West like the Warriors or Spurs? The only good thing about Bogut on, on Golden State, though, is that I'm, I'm looking at the contracts on Golden State. Like, uh, they still got Dave Lee from over a year <laughs> at $15 million. I mean, they got to find a way to dump that salary. Um, but I, and I, I, I don't want to use the first round as an elixir of things to come, but... I thought Draymond Green was incredible in that series against New Orleans, and I think I think his value and and being able to at least keep uh, Anthony Davis at bay shows you how important is that team. They have to resign Draymond Green. They have to. Can they throw enough money at him though? I think they're 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 they're, they're going they're going to be in luxury regardless anyway. They're going to be in luxury. They have Clay Thompson's contract, which is actually kind of a value deal. They still got they're still on uh, Steph Curry's uh, friendly contract still too, so they have time. Um, I don't think Curry's deal runs out for another two years. So they're actually, they actually, yeah, they're in a good position right now. I think you still got Curry for another two years under a manageable contract. So when Curry's up for for uh, uh, to, to resign, they'll have Lee's number off the books already, and Bogut be off the books at that point too. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like it could be a very nice future in Golden State, which is always great. And it starts off, and you know, they they've got a number of good place pieces in place. You know, a, a championship this year would certainly help to preserve that. But you know, you're as familiar with it as anybody else. You know, Pat Riley and the disease of Moore. You know, that's 
that's always something that affects teams, even when after they won a championship, you know, teams can fall apart relatively quickly. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it's an exciting, it's an exciting time to be an NBA fan. That's for sure. Uh, the Kevin Love injury, you think it's a big deal? The way it happened, at least, at least, at least in the East. No, in terms of the Cavaliers' uh, prospects this year, you think it's a big deal? Do you think the Cavs can still win the East without him? I think they can, but their chances of being able to knock off any team in the West are, are took a, a major blow. I think they need that kind of range. I mean, as poorly utilized as he's been this year, or as as badly as he's able, he's adjusted to being in Cleveland. I think he still gave them a, a, a big boost. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think that they'll be able to win a title without him. But the East, at least, win the East, though. I mean, yes. the East. Yeah. I, 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 although I, I'm going to tell you something right now. And I was soft on Washington coming to the playoffs, and I, I'm still kind of skeptical because they because of who they beat. Toronto's fraudulent, and I've been I, I was saying that a lot at the end of the year. Everybody's been sure. on Toronto, oh, Toronto, and I I and then I picked Toronto to win the series in seven games, and they, they even get a single game in that series. Um, I think Washington now with the injury now becomes a a, t- a player now because you know imagine this now. Let's say you get a good game out of let's say you get two good Paul Pierce games in the series going forward. Okay, two good name games. You got Bally Beal, you know, who obviously when he's when he's on, he's on. John Wall played incredible in that first round. Um, obviously, Gortat is hit or miss, but, you know, he's still effective. I, and, and then you have a, a, a struggling Atlanta team, which I still think will get together, and I think they'll be fine. Although these injuries to Horford and Millsap are, are obviously are a big deal. You can see on the court. Um, and Chicago, I'm, like, I still think Chicago's really good. Um I, I I don't know what they're doing. It's Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee has made that series really ugly, to be honest with you. But you look at the Eastern Conference, I, I think while I believe LeBron and Cleveland can still get over the hump and still win the East, I think Washington's a team you got to look out for. I think I think Washington's a, is a team now on that radar that can, you know, like I said, all those, all those things I mentioned, if those things go their way, they can steal a series or two going forward. I mean, they're getting a lot of rest right now after sweeping Toronto. That's, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, you can't overlook how much of an impact that it has, especially on a veteran team like that. And maybe they could get Beal back, uh, you know, get him, uh, get his confidence going somehow. I mean, yeah, you're right. They could be a very dangerous team. It would be interesting to see them being able, I mean, I think they've been somewhat overlooked for the most part. So you, you saw how, you know, Cleveland with LeBron, clearly that was the story. And then Atlanta with the regular season success they had. I don't think anybody saw the Wizards advancing to the NBA Finals, but it, it, there's certainly a possibility. And that's, you know, that's the thing about the Kevin Love injury. All of a sudden you add another wrinkle to a, a, a year for him that has been, difficult to pinpoint because you know he's been great at points and he's also been struggling and then there's a whole issues with LeBron whether or not they're friends or not etc there's been so much going on (laughs) you know it's a really interesting year for him and now all of a sudden if you know the injury is a prolonged one and he's not going to play for the rest of the playoffs which I think that's what early reports have said is that he's not going to be available for another number of weeks um all of a sudden, his value becomes much more significant, and so maybe he does wind up resigning at Cleveland for a whole heck of a lot of money. Maybe money that they wouldn't have been likely to give him if not for the injury, pointing out how crucial he was to their success. Yeah, um, I, I think he opts another year, though. I think he opts another year, um, try to get that get the, get the big payday in uh, 2016 with the salary cap, and then I think he'll probably either. Decide whether he wants to stay in Cleveland or maybe go back west again, or even Boston's on the radar. I, you know, it's it's a lot of like, like I said, there's a lot of moving parts here that can happen in the course of the next 24 months. You know, and I think we need to be prepared for that. Um, uh, the Chicago Bulls thing though, I, I want to touch on that real quick before we let you go. 
I, 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 this is weird because the three zero. We were saying, oh, they're back. Their Rose is playing great, and then they lose two two straight to Milwaukee. Um, now I'm not really. I, I think people overrate style points. I think I'm not one that's going to say uh, they don't look good because I I go back to the 08 Celtics and how they struggled in the first two rounds against Cleveland and Atlanta, and they still won a championship against a better team and, and played better as as the playoffs got went further against better teams. Um, and you think Chicago, given with the Kevin Love thing and how that will benefit them, especially because of, of their bigs and whatnot. You think they figure, okay, let's, let's win game five, and then we'll go on to Cleveland. You, you're going you're to play Cleveland game one and two without J.R. Smith, which is huge, okay? Uh, not having Kevin Love either, either for the series. And then they, they struggle as Milwaukee. I, I don't want to let go of Chicago just yet as a contender, but some, these last two games have kind of shown me something different, though. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never been really convinced about them. Uh, something about... I mean, I clearly, you think with Derrick Rose's availability, I just they were always kind of a team that, that I mean, they, they, they started off fairly well. If I recall correctly, they had a good start to the year. Um, and then all of a sudden, there was just this time where they were, where they were kind of meandering through the, the regular season. They just weren't necessarily taking it to that next level. They had injuries, et cetera. But, I mean, so many teams were beset by injury. It's kind of hard to use that as an excuse anymore. You just never know with a Chicago team. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure if they're just exhausted because of Thibodeau, because it's just been a long, grueling year. But there's something about this team that has just never instilled confidence in me. I don't know that they have what it takes to get to, to that next level. So, I... I think they'll eliminate Milwaukee in the next game, but I think at the same time, um, I don't think they're going to be able to advance past next round, to be honest with you. To the Cavaliers still win that surge regardless, regardless of, the, of the issues with not having JR, not having Love, yeah. you think still? Wow. Yeah. You have Cavs in the East still? I think so. I'm sorry? You have Cavs, you have the Cavs in the East still? Cavs in the East, right? Regardless yeah. Of a- yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I think uh, I think LeBron somehow finds a way to, to take this team to the next level. I, I mean, it should be interesting, um, but they won't win the finals this year, which is great. At least from a, a, a bitter Heat fans perspective, I think it's something that they don't want to see. Yeah, but they, but they, have, a, but they have an excuse to use, though. They, this, is, this is what gets me, though. They have an excuse to use. Well, we didn't have love. But the thing is, though, when we lost Boston in, in, in two years ago or three years ago against, against Indiana, right. we won't get those right. breaks. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's still it's the blueprint. I don't care. If a boss gets hurt, make, get it done. <laughs> you know, so it's funny how, like, we like the narrative here. So, they, you know, it's all about what narrative we like. And obviously LeBron downplaying the expectations of the team going for, you know, early in the year that we're not ready yet. Please. Absolutely. Bro, stop that, bro. You're the best player in the league. <laughs> stop that. <laughs> this is why I start preaching Kobe and, and Jordan now because of that, man. And I, and I love LeBron. And it disappoints me not to say that. Yeah, seriously, but uh, Dave Ramil, follow him on Twitter at D R A M I L thirteen, right? You got it, sir. Excellent, and uh, all, all your work at the Cauldron. But by the way, I joined the Medium last week too. I don't know if you saw that. Um, good. Yeah, I'm writing there. Like it's more not just sports anymore. Just whatever, whatever's on my mind. Um, it's excellent. Great. It's I'm great. Looking forward to reading more. I love the site. It's actually a lot of fun. Um, you find him at the Cauldron. You find him at the uh, Hard- Hardwood Paroxysm. Uh, the hoops and countless other sites that he writes for. So, David Mill, thanks for coming to the podcast. Really appreciate it. You got it, man. Always, always happy to talk basketball with you, Ernest, and anything.